I want to talk to you about living a prosperous life. So we're going to get into the word because there's so much taught about finances and prosperity that is taught with a wrong focus, I think, sometimes. And so we want to get a biblical view of this. So this is going to kind of be a continuation from what Pastor Dave just went through. So um, I'm just going to kind of, you know, he was talking about Luke and, and all that stuff. You know, I mean, think about it. I just read that this week about, man, could you imagine? Don't take, don't take any food because one of the Greek words is a pouch that would carry your supplies. The other one was a pouch that would carry your money. Don't take anything extra, nothing, go out. But later he told them, take everything. Why? Because now they had already prepared their self. They had already learned that he was their provider. And now they could handle taking stuff. If they would have started out taking the stuff, they would have never learned that he's a provider. So we're going to talk about that today. You guys ready to do that? Let's just see what the Bible says. Hallelujah. So God's word and money. How important is this to God? 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus told in his earthly ministry was about money or money management. 16 of them out of 38. Wow. God's word talks five times more about money than he does about prayer in the Bible. That's crazy, right? Faith, the, God's word talks about faith and believing 272 times in the Bible. That's a lot. It talks about praise 371 times. It talks about now, what is our commandment? We have this commandment that we are to walk in love. We are to love each other the way Christ loved us. That's unconditional. That means I am just, I'm just to love my brothers and sisters no matter what they do to me, no matter what I think they do to me, I'm just to walk in love. That's a commandment of God. God actually, it's so strong that God says if you won't forgive your brothers and sisters. I, must, I think he must knew that we were going to mess up in this area. God says, I won't forgive you. Yikes, right? Now think about all this stuff. He talks about love 714 times in the Bible. It's a lot. He talks about giving and he talks about finances 2,162 times. So I think we might want to look at this because I think it's important in our life. Do you know what is stopping more believers? I mean, it's stopped me for years. More believers, what stops believers from fulfilling the plan of God for their life is a lack of finances or a lack of health. And so we must know him as our healer We must know him as our provider, right? So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 35. Psalm 35, 27. You know, years ago, the Lord told me that that 
whenever we would talk about finances, that he wanted me to talk about finances with you. The first time, and he's coming again this year, a good friend of ours, Larry Hutton. Uh, I mean, it, he just is a, he's, he's just really anointed to talk about finances. And I, I love it. And, and you know, it, it's, it's wonderful. The, in the first year of our church, I said, hey, Larry, a teaching I sat in years ago changed my life. So could you come to our church and I want you to minister along the lines of finances. And it was wonderful. And then after that was over, the Lord said, I don't want you to do that. I want the people to hear from you because you're their shepherd. You're their, or he said, you're their under shepherd. And you live with them. And they see your life. And they know you're not after their money. And he said this, because I'm not after their money. I am after their heart. And so this is, this is why we talk about these things. Psalm 35, 27, look at this. It says, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yet, yea, let them say continually. This is something you need to be saying continually. Let the Lord be magnified that which, or which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Wow. God wants you to know that when you walk in his provision, it pleases him. Religion is all about, you know, like, like when we were in Greece and Turkey, and we were going, we were going to monasteries, and these monks would take a, a vow of poverty and go live alone in a mountain for God. And they would give their whole lives to something that displeased him. They bore no fruit. They were not around anybody that they could bear fruit with. And a vow of poverty, and they would read scriptures like, we're to say continually, let the Lord be magnified. Notice, he is magnified as you prosper. Right? Do you know, could you imagine if, how would you think of me as a pastor if my wife and children growing up in the church, because they, they grew up in the church, how would you think of me as a father if my, I mean, if my wife came in with just nothing, old clothes, just raggedy, all this stuff, but yet I come in with a designer Armani suit, you know, looking great, have all this, you know, I pull up in a brand new nice car, my wife comes in a little beater thing that, that is, you know, just, you would probably look at me and go, this guy is not a good provider, right? That's what the world does. God wants you to prosper. He takes pleasure in it. Now, he, he doesn't want you to be all about having things. This is the thing. Prosperity, you got to understand this. Prosperity, what we're not talking about today is money. We're talking about your heart. Prosperity is actually not money. Prosperity, you might want to write this down, it is an understanding 
that flows out of revelation knowledge from God's word about what he has already provided for you. So Psalm 23 in verse 1. Now the 23rd Psalm is a picture of our life on the earth right now. So it is to be, a, if you want to know what your life is to look like, read Psalm 23, 23rd Psalm. Verse 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I love that. The Hebrew word for shepherd means the Lord is my pastor. Right? Don't, don't think I'm your pastor. The Lord is your pastor. The Lord is my pastor. I am your brother Tony, who is your under-shepherd. So I stand in the office of a pastor, but I am here as an under-shepherd to shepherd God's sheep that he, he brings into my life. Right? He adds and builds the church. If we try to build it, we build it in vain. But because he is my shepherd, it says in the King James Version, I shall not want. That Hebrew word means I shall not lack, I shall not diminish, and I shall not decrease. Do you know our inflation rate right now is higher than we've seen it in a long time, right? We were just in California. You know, it's crazy when you fill up a tank of gas and you spend almost 100 bucks because it's $6. We saw it as high as 7 7 something. You know, it's, it's expensive here. But do you know that because he's your shepherd, he's your pastor, you are never to lack. You're never to decrease. Isn't that interesting? So speak to your investments. Speak to your 401ks. Speak to your job. Speak to your finances. Because his will, because he's your shepherd, doesn't say because you graduated from the right school and have the right education or because your job gives you a big income. Nope. Why are you prosperous? Why do you not lack? Because he's your shepherd. Why are you not going to decrease? Because he's your shepherd. Why are you not going to diminish? As you get older, you are to get stronger. You are to do more for God. Right? You're to increase. Look at what it goes on to say in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This word prepare means to arrange, to put in order. It means that to work out all the details beforehand. Do you know there's some here or some watching online that God has a company, a business for you to start? And he has already put everything in place. And you might be trying to do it and go, man, I just, this is hard. Nothing's working. No, don't worry about that. God will open doors that no man can shut. He will shut doors that no man will open. He will teach you how to profit and then lead you in the way that you should go. He'll bring all the people, all the finances that you need. I mean, I think about God has called us to be part of this church plant. And now here we're 15 years into it. But way before 
we ever knew that there would be a faith family church in Omaha, Nebraska, God went beforehand and prepared everything. Everything we need is on the table. Oh, you need a quarter of a million dollars for a new HVAC system? No problem. It's all, when was that provided? Way before we ever even, way before I was ever born. Everything. Don't buy into a 30-year mortgage if God wants to pay your house off this year. Don't buy into, oh my gosh, housing prices in Omaha have just escalated. I can no longer afford a house. That's not true. The Lord is your shepherd. Right? But look at what it says here. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. There's enemies. Preach about money. Satan hates it. If you are in a position today where you don't, you, you're sitting there and you're going, if I tithe or sow offerings, I won't have enough for my life. Realize that every person has to cross that barrier. God knows that. But your problem is there's a spirit that's governing your life and your finances and it's called the spirit of mammon, and we're going to talk about that. And you just don't know God is your provider. You don't have an understanding of what's already been provided for you. That's all it is. So don't beat yourself up. What do you do? You start to meditate in the word of God of how he's your provider. See what he said. Faith. You get to know him. You get revelation knowledge of him as your provider. And all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute. I'm his child. I will walk through my life and never lack. And, and this is why John said, hey, beloved, you're going to prosper and be in health, but it's going to be as your soul prospers. You have to renew your mind to wealth. That he's your provider. Don't ever give grudgingly. Don't ever give like, man, you know what? I'm about to get evicted. I, I better sow an offering so God... No, that doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, God says, I won't, I won't accept that. We are to give... The Bible says that we're to sow based on what we have. So if you drove in here in a car that has three bald tires and one good tire, you give, Father, I thank you for that one good tire. And I'm just, you're so good, so I'm just sowing into the kingdom of God. That seed will produce, right? So this is important. Look at what it says. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Look at that. My cup is not full. It runs over. God's always into abundance. Always. In the 112th Psalm, Psalm 112, verse 1, it says, Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord. Now, this word fear is not being afraid of God. It, may, it means Blessed is the man that reverences and honors and respects the Lord above everything else in his life. And then it's going to tell us what that looks like. So now you're going to know if you really are walking in reverence to God. 
If you're reverencing, honoring, and respect him above everything else in your life, you will delight greatly in his commandments, or as a New Testament believer, we would say, you will delight greatly in his word. Right? Blessed is that man. Verse 3 of that same chapter, it says, wealth and riches might be in his house. It doesn't say that. It says wealth and riches shall be in his house. In whose house? The man that reverences, honors, and respects God above everything else because he's delighting greatly in his commandments. So in other words, you do something natural. You reverence, honor, and respect the Lord above everything else in your life. You delight greatly in his commandments. In other words, you're a doer of the word. You do something natural, and then God does something supernatural. He puts wealth and riches in your house. This is the way everything works with God. You do something natural. Today, as that bucket was passed, you did something natural, or whether it was on your phone, you did a natural thing of putting money in a bucket, giving online, whatever that was, you sowed money into the kingdom of God. God says, you do the natural, and I'll do something supernatural. I will open the windows of heaven, and I will pour out a blessing that there's not room to receive. That's what God says. Satan will talk to you all day about how you're going to get out of this financial mess or how you're going to increase, but the how is not your deal. The how is God's deal. Everything is like this, right? God says, Tony, and you shall lay hands on the sick. Now, Jake's not sick, but it says, I could lay hands on the sick, do something natural. God does something supernatural, and he heals the person. I, didn't, I can't heal anybody, right? But I do something natural. That's the way it always is in the Bible. Do something natural, God does something spiritual, supernatural. I love that. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. So then we go to Galatians chapter 3, and we see this in verse 13. It says, Christ hath... Past tense, redeemed us. To be redeemed means he ransomed us out of one place and placed us into another place. We know that we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, we won't take the time today, but in Deuteronomy 28, it really lays out the curse. The curse of the law was threefold. He redeemed us from spiritual death. He redeemed us from sickness and disease. And he redeemed us from poverty and lack. If you look at the great redemptive chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, it talks about all three. Jesus just as much died so that you could have an abundant supply of finances as he died so that you could be healed, as he died so that you could be born again. You can't separate them. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Why? He did something in us. 
right? He redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, as we accept that sacrifice and we proclaim with our heart and our mouth that Jesus, you are now my Lord. And we're born again. We're made brand new on the inside. God, and then the Holy Spirit comes up and takes residency on the inside of us. He did something in us. Why? So that he could put something upon us. Right? So then it goes on, verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What is that? That's getting saved. Verse 29, in case you're wondering if you're an heir of this, it says, if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and you're an heir according to the promise. So as you're sitting here, if you are born again today, if you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, the blessing of Abraham is upon you. Now you have to activate that. So in order to activate that, you got to know it. Right? First of all, you got to look to the word of God, gain revelation knowledge and believe it. And then you have to act on it and speak that. And then the blessing of Abraham will start working in your life. So let's look at this. The blessing of Abraham. I told the guys this yesterday. It's not this woo-woo thing. The blessing of Abraham is a work of the Holy Spirit. The blessing of Abraham is based on covenant. It's unbreakable. There's a guarantor a guarantor of the covenant, and it's not you and I, it's Jesus who will never break the covenant. The blessing of Abraham literally is an endowment of power from the Holy Spirit that comes on a believer for the purpose of producing good things in their life. The blessing of Abraham is literally an endowment of power that comes from the Holy Spirit upon a believer for the purpose of producing good things in their life. The blessing of Abraham was threefold. God says, listen, I'm going to bless you. We see the first manifestation of that is Abraham. He made Abraham rich. Uh, what's going to happen as a result of God's blessing upon us is he's going to make your name great. That will increase your influence in the earth. Why? So that you could be a blessing to others. Well, of course, because you can't give what you don't have. Have you ever sat in a service and you just didn't have anything to sow? That stinks. Because we're believers. What really turns you on, whether you know it or not, is giving. I mean, you know, you know the story. We received this check, or a cashier's check, at the, just at the last day of the year for $100,000. We had never received in our church anything like that. My first thought was, wow, it would be awesome to sow $100,000, right? Later that evening, the rest of the money came in. So, but, but that's what really turns us on as believers. Why? Because that's the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave. 
right? The blessing of Abraham is an endowment of power that comes from the Holy Spirit for the purpose of producing good things in your life. See, the anointing of God is upon me today. And the blessing of Abraham is a lot like the anointing of God, except in direction. The anointing of God is upon me today to minister and bless others. The blessing of Abraham is on you to bless you. The anointing that is upon you is to bless others. Okay? The blessing of Abraham. Now, this has been, hasn't this been good? Man, that's so good. Pastor, that's incredible. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the empowerment. Say that with me, Pastor. I love what you've said. Right? Because here is, here is what the blessing of Abraham empowers you to do. You ready? To change. Ouch. And everybody said, man, I went from amen to oh me, right? <laughs> Nothing progresses if it doesn't change. You're never to live in the boat. You're to live out of the boat. We're going to talk a lot about that Wednesday night when we talk about the renewing of the mind. Because your subconscious mind will try to keep you in the boat. Especially in the realm of finances. So how do you activate this blessing again? You believe God's word and you speak God's word. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. This is what actually happened. We're celebrating this, this Easter season, or I would say this resurrection season for us. Don't get caught up and hate the word Easter, okay? People get freaked out. I mean, people that don't know God are all about an Easter bunny, and they know the word Easter. So if you go to your friend who doesn't know God, and you're all legalistic, and you're like, I need you to come to our resurrection service. People are beginning to freak out. What, are you going to like raise people from the dead? Right? No, just come to our Easter service so that you could be resurrected. Right? Look at this. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Let me get out of this hole that I've just dug for myself. It says, for you know the grace. This word grace means the delight and the pleasure. It's a different word for grace. You know the delight and pleasure of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, now this word rich does not mean a full and overflowing supply. This word rich means he was wealthy. Right? I still remember when Larry King interviewed Michael Jordan years ago when he was playing. And Larry King goes, you know, as, as far as our accountants could tell, your net worth is so many hundred millions of dollars. Is that right? And, and Michael Jordan looked at him and said, if your accountants can't figure out how much I'm worth, do you really think I know? <laughs> It'd be impossible for him to know. Because while they're calculating it, it's increasing because he's wealthy. Right? Jesus was wealthy. But though, this is now this was talking about the pleasure of the Lord. You know, and, and he said to the church at Corinth, you know this. You know the delight and pleasure of the Lord Jesus Christ that though he was wealthy, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty on the cross might be rich. 
Different word rich, it means an overflowing, abundant supply. More than enough for you, right? Why does he use that word? Because every one of our lives, it's different. What does is, what is an overflowing supply look like? I don't know. But as you walk with God and you make him your, the desires of your heart, as you, as you do that, he'll lead you in everything. Because I don't know what's on your table, but I sure want to see it. I want to see what's on your table. Because, man, that'll just cause me to rejoice and glorify God. So Proverbs now, 10.22, I'm just laying a foundation of this. Proverbs 10.22 says this. The blessing of the Lord, it makes rich. Notice, God doesn't want your focus to be, I need to work hard, I need to be focused. In other words, the focus of my heart is not to be to become rich. He says the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich. But his way, there's another part of his way that's wonderful. And he adds no sorrow with it. So the blessing, this Hebrew word means a liberal pool of resources that is designed to help and prosper you and others. This blessing makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. This sorrow means, it literally means hardship. Do you know how hard it is when you go to work and you know while you're at working, while you're working, the money that you're going to get paid at the end of a week or two weeks is not going to be enough. That will cause you, it'll cause painful toil to start taking place in your mind. Painful toil, what does this mean? To work or to exert uh, strength in pain or fatigue in your mind and in your body. There's other people that, man, their income, they love it. They're making great money, but they end up having to leave the company because it's starting to affect their health because I'm working 40 hours a week. Now I'm working 60 hours a week. Now I'm working 80 hours a week. You know, I can't I have my phone, I have my laptop, I'm always at work, they're, they're, they're hitting my phone all the time, you know, and, and it gets to the point where all of a sudden it's affecting my family, my health, that's toil. But the blessing of the Lord is not that way. So Proverbs 10.22, powerful. And then I'm going to finish this thought as we jump into something else. Look at 3 John 2. That'd be a great license plate. Actually, I told the men Saturday, I wish the license plate were just a little wider because I'd really like 3 John 2-4. Because, man, 2, 3, and 4, those are great verses. It says, Beloved, I wish, well, Paul, or John didn't wish, that, that Greek word means pray. Beloved, I pray above all things. So this was the number one thing that he prayed. 
that you may prosper. Now, we know from study the left hand of wisdom is riches and honor. And, and really, the left hand of wisdom in the, in the Hebrew language means to continually prosper. So you could read it, the left hand of wisdom, of wisdom is a continuous prosperity of riches and honor. And that you would be in health. That's the right hand of wisdom. A long, healthy life. But then he puts this, you're only going to prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. Do you know how many Christians... They are begging God to help their financial life. They're begging God, you got to show me what I'm supposed to do to make more money. I need this. And they're just begging God for a while. Then what happens is they stop even praying about it and they really get in a bad way. And, And they're just, they're wondering why God won't bless them. But it's because they're not honoring him they're not obeying his word, so he would have to change the way he does it. And he won't change. The Bible says, give and it'll be given to you. The Bible says in Genesis 8, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest will never pass away. You have to sow to get a crop. Could you imagine? I mean, farmers, could you imagine? Morris walks out, looks at his fields, and he's like, you know, it's October, September, October. He's like, what? There's no crops. He comes home and he tells Faye, there's nothing in the fields. And she's like, well, that's strange. I mean, you planted, right? And he's like, well, no. We needed needed that money, right, to go buy something. She, you'd look at your husband and go, okay, I need to go pray because my husband has some serious mental issues. <laughs> he's, he's wondering why there's no crops and he didn't plant anything. Do you know how many Christians are wondering why there's nothing going on in their life? It's why I can't seem to find out what I'm supposed to do with my life. I, I, I never have enough. I, I have all these things in my heart. And the reason why it's in your heart is because it's on the table. It's yours. But you're not able to grab it. That's why we're teaching on this to help people. Because God's not mad at you. He just wants you. He he takes pleasure as you prosper. Verse 3 says this. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Well, we know when John says truth, in the gospel of John, he said this. John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. He's like, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the word that is in thee. You could say it that way. Even as you walk in the truth or even as you walk in the word, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth or walk in the word of God. Prosperity is not natural. Do you know God gave us this building? And this, because God gave it to us, this building speaks. When people drive by this building, 
We have people in our church that drove by this building and they'd always, every time they'd drive by the building, they'd have this thought, I need to go there. God wants everything in your life to speak of his love for you, of his goodness, and to encourage others and to bless others. Money is natural, but produces spiritual results. The money that you sowed today and in the past has produced this, which produces spiritual results in people's lives all over the world. Right? I mean, that's the way it's designed. Remember I said, you know, you bring the tithe, natural. He opens the windows of heaven. You lay hands on the sick, something natural. What does God do? He heals the sick. Right? They'll recover. So we have God's system versus the world's system. Right? God's system, his whole system, the medium of exchange in the kingdom of God is faith. How you receive what God's given you is through faith. The medium of exchange in the world system is money. If you go to lunch after this, ser- after this service, guess what? They'll give you food, but you got to give them money. Try to give them faith. That, that just won't work, right? But if you do that, don't tell them where you go to church. Okay. See, but here's the thing. So God's system is based on faith. The world system is based on money. The world system is designed to steal, kill, and destroy. It's designed to produce fear and unbelief. But if you operate in God's system, it will cause you to prosper in the world system. You have to know that. If you operate in God's system, it will supersede the world system. And you could get all the money out of the world system that you need, and Satan can't stop it. Why? Because the things of God are much, power, much, more, much more powerful. The blessing of the Lord is much more powerful than inflation. It's much more powerful than anything, Right? So you have to know this, and I said it before, but I'll say it again. God is not after your money. God is after your heart. He wants to build his vision in your heart so that you can walk out his plan and purpose for your life. He does, he's not after your money. God could figure out a way to, to further his gospel. But his concern is you. The only way that God can get to your heart, now you got to hear this because where we're going with this, the only way that God can get your heart is to get you to do something with your treasure. He has to do that. Why do we talk about finances? Because this area is, it affects every area of your life. If the Bible says things like if you're dark in this area, it darkens your whole life. If if this area is light, it'll lighten your whole life. So this is really really important. Really really important.
So let's, let's talk about this a little bit. Let's talk about your treasure and your heart. Go to Matthew chapter 6. You guys doing okay? This good, yeah. It's so good. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It says here, lay not up for yourself treasures. Treasures are the place where your valuables are kept. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves can break through and steal. Just think about the earth. Everything here is temporary and it's not really safe. This is the valley of the shadow of death. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. Why? Verse 21. Here is a spiritual principle that you'll never get beyond. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It doesn't say where your heart is, there will be your treasure. It, it starts with this for a reason. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be. So you can look at your financial life right now and tell if you're delighting greatly in his commandments. You'll, you'll tell. You'll be able to tell if you are in a position where God could add wealth and riches to your life. And this is why this is so life-giving. Don't beat yourself up if you're not there. Just change. And realize when you change, man, your God sitting on the throne above all creation, the king of the whole universe, starts smiling. And all those angels that are assigned to you to minister to you as an heir of salvation, they start wiping the dust off their robes and they start getting excited because you're going to start sending them out to do some stuff and get that stuff. I mean, think about God. Would you as a, a, uh, just a, a human earthly father want to see your kids suffer financially? Could you imagine that? Seeing your kids stressed, marriages being destroyed, Kids not having enough. All this stuff. And here you are with unlimited wealth. But also you as a father wouldn't just pour everything into them because that could ruin them too. So that's why God, he woos you. He doesn't want to give you a fish. He wants to teach you how to fish. He wants to teach you how to take stuff off the table. He wants you to grow in knowing him as a provider. Interesting. God's plan for you in the arena of finances is a heart issue. It's never a money issue. So verse 22. Now he's going to explain this. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye be single, that's a little vague in the King James, in the Greek, it would, it would read like this. If your eye be single-minded, your whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So what does this mean? 
If your eye is single as it is focused on laying up treasure in heaven. This is the context of the scripture. If you are single-minded, I am all about laying up treasure in heaven. It brings light into every area of your life. If your eye is evil by being focused, and here's the key, by being focused on yourself in relation to your treasure, right? I mean, do you realize there's people, there's Christians that are like, you know, really want my kids to go to Christian school. And and that's great because we could use the tithe for that because, you know, we're technically giving to that ministry. Dangerous. Right? Why? Because it's a wrong focus. It's really interesting. You know, years ago when I was working uh, for a company, my assistant manager was an Orthodox Jew. Young guy. When they go to buy a house, if if you're an Orthodox Jew, you buy a house within walking distance of the synagogue. So there's only certain places in Omaha that you'll buy a house. Yeah, but what if you like a house over here? It doesn't matter. It's the Sabbath. I can't drive, so I have to have a house that's close enough to the synagogue. Right? At that time, there was only one restaurant that they could go out to eat at. It's called the Bagel Bin, and I think it burnt down. That just, that's a bummer, right? I mean, the Orthodox Jews. So this guy's rabbi would come and take him to lunch at the Bagel Bin. And, and you know, the rabbi would pull up in a very nice car, come in. He only came in a couple times because, man, I, as soon as he comes in, I'm like, you're a rabbi. I go, hey, I start talking to him. He's like, basically, get away from me, you Gentile, Right? <laughs> And so I'm talking to him. I'm like, man, I want you to tell me about tithing. He's, and, fi- and I would push him and push him. If I, he stopped coming in, so I'd go out to his car. And, he, and, and here he is. He's sitting in his car waiting for Josh. And I'm standing by his, by his window. He sees me. But then I, so I knock on his window. Finally, I have to knock a few times. Finally, he rolls it down a little bit. He's like, what? I go, come on. Are you going to tell me about tithing? Just, I just want to, I really want to understand this. Finally, the guy goes, whatever, okay. And he begins to explain to me, it's like the Jewish people believe this. They know that God is a giver. And they know that as they give, that's why they're blessed. And and they look for ways to bend the law a little bit so that they can give more money so that they can get more money. He goes, what we do he says, I'll tell you what we do. He started getting excited when he was explaining it to me. He goes, so what we do, if, if we make 100 grand this year, then when January 1st hits of next year, we will even, he's like getting all excited, we'll even pre-tithe. They'll just sow 10 grand. I'm like, pre-tithe? I've never heard about that. And he goes, yeah, it's really cool because we know if we do that, by June or July, we will have made the 100 grand and then we'll make more that year and we just tithe off that. And we, I mean, so I'm, I'm, I've walked away from this going, this is a man who's not born again, who knows, who seems to know God as a provider. And then we've got born-again, spirit-filled Christians who are children of God that are looking for ways to get out of it. Yeah. 
Do you see, it's, it's, it's all about knowing something. If, here's the deal. If your focus is on you instead of God in the area of your treasure, it will affect every arena of your life. Those of you who are parents, don't let your kids grow up with parents that don't that don't walk in this, that have darkness, because then they're going to have a poverty mentality. Right? Verse 24. It's a little heavy, but has to be said. Now he's going to explain this even more. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one. He'll take hold. He'll take heed. He will observe. He'll, he'll, this is what this Greek word means. He'll take hold of one and he'll despise the other. Notice, notice this is saying there's two masters. And notice there's no middle ground. You can't serve them both. You're going you're gonna to do one. You're going to hate one and love the other. That's crazy. Think about, I mean, think about what, what Jesus is saying here. No middle ground. You can't serve two masters. Right? Look at this. And you'll despise the other. This means to treat as common, to neglect, to not care, to reject, to dishonor, to treat shamefully. And then he says this. Now he's going to talk about the two, the two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. At a surface, this word mammon means material wealth and possessions. But there's a much deeper meaning as you get into the study of this word. In other words, guys, you're always serving one or the other. There's no middle ground. This is not my opinion. This is Bible. And we need to know this. Because I'm telling you, I don't, I believe the rapture will happen before the tribulation period. I just don't see it any other way. I don't know what we're going to go through before. But I could tell you this. You are not to ever decrease. Your family is never to be without. Your family is to prosper you're to have so much that if somebody comes to your door with a gun and wants food, you don't have to worry about having a gun. You invite them in. What do you need? Hey, we're here to help. Need more tomorrow? It'll be full tomorrow. That's, that's what it's like to serve God. God wants you to have everything you need. It's already on your table to do everything he's called you to do. Because the reality of it is, our life is so short. And I'm telling you, he is worthy for you to walk out his plan for your life. I'm, and and I'm, I'm up here talking to you, what kept me from full-time ministry was I looked at it, I grew up in poverty, and I looked at it and said, there's no way I could take care of my family. I had examples of, of pastors that struggled, and I'm like, I just, I just don't want to do that. But then I started looking, stopped looking at people and started looking at the word. And, and I'm telling you, it changes you. 
It changes you. This is, this is so big. You are always serving one or another and you can never serve both. Verse 33, then he says this, but, pastor, I'm so glad we hit verse 33. That was a little hard. That's all right. It'll, it's helping you. That was like eating vegetables, okay? But seek ye first the kingdom of God, which is the spiritual realm where God is the head, and his righteousness, his way of making you right. What is that? Faith. And he says, and all these things shall be added to you. Notice, you're not doing the adding, God is. You seek him. If you look at the Old Testament, the blessing would overtake people. If, you, if you're going after the blessing, you'll never get it because it doesn't work that way. If we don't seek God first and seek first his way of making us righteous, what are we going to do? We're going to seek our own way, which leads to guilt, shame, and condemnation every time. In other words, this whole thing is about, for prosperity, you have to have things in right priority. If you get things in right priority, I'm telling you, you're an heir of salvation. Everything you do will prosper. It'll be brought to maturity. You'll actually make your way prosperous because you'll see everything right. God wants you blessed so that you can be a storehouse that he can call upon in these last days to pull finances into his kingdom. That's what he wants for you. And every promise, when we talk about finances, all these promises are tied to relationship. Everything flows out of your relationship with him. No relationship with him, there's no flow. So that's why we we have relationship. He's my father, but now I fellowship and I walk with him. And, And all this stuff flows out of that. I said this Saturday, and I'll say it again, prosperity, and we're talking financial prosperity, without purpose equals greed. Right? Prosperity will ruin a fool. But when you're walking out God's plan and purpose for your life, there there was a success, you know, motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar, years ago, right? And he would say this, if your focus is on helping everybody else get what they want, you'll get what you want. Well, that's, he, where do you get that? From the Bible. Man, we just don't do well if our focus is on us. We're not made to. Greed never has to do with an amount of money. Greed always has to do with an attitude of the heart. Some of the greediest people on the planet have nothing. Right? It doesn't have anything to do with an amount of money. It has to do with an attitude of the heart. So let's talk a little bit as we just kind of are coming down the hill now. Let's talk a little bit about the spirit of mammon. This other master. Luke chapter 16. Let's, Let's just go there. Starting in verse 1. 
I would encourage you to have ears to hear this morning. Go back and listen to this again. Outline it. Underline these scriptures in your Bible. Whatever you missed from what I was saying, man, I'm telling you, because as you go back and listen, the Lord will speak to your heart and add other things to it, and he will make this yours, and you'll see light from it. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. And he, talking about Jesus, said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man. So that means whenever you see that in the Bible, where it says there was a certain rich man, this is a true story about a certain rich man who lived in Jesus' day. There was a certain rich man which had a steward that was one who managed his goods. And the same was accused unto him that he, the steward, had wasted his master's goods. So somebody went to the master and said, hey, your steward is wasting your goods. And he, the master, called him the steward and said to him, how is it that I hear this of you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you may no longer steward. So he's like, come, you're going to give an account because I'm firing you. So right now, this steward who's been unjust is about to lose his position because his master heard that he was wasting his goods. Verse 3, then the steward said within himself, what shall I do for my Lord takes away from me the stewardship? Now you're going to start to see a little bit about this guy. He says, I cannot dig. In other words, the steward was unwilling to work. I cannot dig. And then he says this, to beg, I am ashamed. So not only was he lazy, he was in pride. Which is what led him to be an unjust steward, right? So then he says this in verse 4, I am resolved what to do. In other words, I know what I'm going to do for money. I, know, I figured it out. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So this whole story is about how the unjust steward handled money. How he could not be trusted any longer to manage money. The whole story is about this. Verse 5 so he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, how much do you owe my Lord? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And the steward said unto him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. So in other words, you owe the master this much. Hey, I'm, I'm going to do you a favor. Just pay this and I'll call it good. Right? Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, okay, take your bill and write out 40 or four score. Go ahead and take your bill, just pay for 80 and I'll call it done. So the steward who's unjust is still doing something unethical. He's using the master's money to benefit himself and not the master. Okay. So keep following this story. Theologians have messed this story up. The unjust steward, he's cutting deals with people that owed the master so that they might help him out after he's fired. 
That's what he's doing. Because he's not willing to work and he's too prideful to beg. Verse 8. And the Lord, look at this, the Lord commended, and this is where every theologian just freaks out. The Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Why did the master commend him when he was still doing something unethical? You got to go, you got to look at the principle of the parable. The master commended the unjust steward because now he understood that money should be used to set your future instead of taking care of your present. So he didn't commend him because of his focus on just helping himself, but he, he commended the unjust steward because he finally figured something out, that money should be used to help your future, not just your present. The reason why Christians do not honor God in their finances is not because of their future, it's because of their present. So that's why we have to teach on this. You guys are so cute. We don't, we don't get a lot of amens in our services, but what we do get is wow. Wow. <laughs> Which is really cool because that's the way I am when I'm sitting in service. I'm like, wow. Or if it's something that hits me in, a, in my flesh, I'm like, yikes. Right? <laughs> that's funny. There's a lady at Rama Bible Church. She's always yelling, tell it. Tell it like it ought to be told. And I'm like, yeah, I love that. Because that's the goal. we got to tell it how it ought to be told. <laughs> Verse 9. And I say unto you, make of yourself friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Then when, now, now you got to find, you got to get this. Then when you fail, what? Why would Jesus say then when you fail? He didn't. The Greek word for that, that Greek word means, then when you die, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. So all of a sudden, Jesus is starting to talk eternity now. Why? So this is saying that if you'll do the right thing with money, then even when you die, you're going to meet people you helped out financially and they're going to appreciate what you did. Do you realize when you give in this church, you're going to have people that are going to come up to you in Russia and in different parts of the world, in Kenya and different countries in Africa. You're going to have people come up to you and say, thank you because I got saved. The financial thing, in other words, is so important that it yields present, future, and even eternal results. That's how come God is saying, you don't want to serve mammon. This is serious. Now your money is impacting present, future, and eternal. Then he says this in verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least... What? Do you realize God just called being faithful with your money as the least? That is step one. 
Another example of that? Yeah, wow. Oh, boy, I really opened that up, didn't I? Yeah, I'm going to pay for that one. That's all right. I like that word. Wow. Turn it upside down, you think of your mom. So that's, all, that's awesome, right? But think about, think about the implication here. He called money the least thing. What happened to the children of Israel, which is a type of the church? They go in, the first battle that they had was Jericho. The most powerful city that they would face out of the ten. Isn't that interesting? God didn't warm them up. God's not into warming up. He starts with the biggest. Why? Well, because the battle's not yours. But in their eyes, it was the biggest. And he said, listen... You do this, you walk around the city, you blow your shofar, the walls are going to just go right into the earth, I'm going to give you the city, but this is the deal, don't take any of this for yourself, you burn it all, it's mine, don't touch it. Why did he do that? Well, if you aerial view, the land of Canaan was ten cities, this was the first one, this was the tithe. They touched it, and it caused them it caused defeat and death into their life. Cain and Abel, the first murder was because dealt with somebody who wasn't, who was touching the first of something, right? Cain brought, brought, his, brought his offering to the Lord, his tithe to the Lord, but it wasn't his first and his best. The tithe is not the last, it's the first, right? Abel brought the first fruits. And God told, God told Cain, listen, if you do well, it'll be accepted. Just do what you know to do. Touching, touching what God says doesn't not to touch is, is not a good thing. Right? So here's the principle. If you can be faithful in that which is least, money, you're going, Pastor, money is not least in my life. Well, in all, compared to all these spiritual things, it's least. It's step one. Right? You will be faithful in much. If you can be faithful and just in the least area of the kingdom of God, then you can be faithful in much healing, deliverance, the anointing, bearing fruit. What? Oh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that have a teaching gift. And man, they're such great teachers. But they don't really produce anything. And they can't really minister a whole lot. Now, God, he's good, and he wants to get things. He, he's always looking to bless, so he'll try to help people any way he can. But this person, because they don't honor God in their finances, their whole life is dark, so they never are able to step in. I'm, I'm talking about me. I'm so glad years ago I stepped in. It changed my life. I didn't realize it, but my life was dark in areas. Oh, I was bearing fruit. Because God will confirm his word, but he doesn't confirm the person. And he wasn't able to do a whole lot compared to what he can do now. And hide and watch. This anointing only increases on faithfulness. God's not moved by your ability. He's moved. He loves faithfulness. Hallelujah. If you can be faithful and just in the least area of the kingdom of God, you can be faithful with the much, all the blessings of God. If you won't give where you are right now, you won't give when the circumstances change. If you won't be faithful with money, you'll never be faithful with ministry. 
Do you know how many ministers, they don't even realize it, but so much of their ministry is insecurity, trying to get people to need them, and manipulation, trying to get people to help them. And why is that? Because their eye, their eye is dark. They're not bad people. That's just where they are. They're deceived. They won't be faith. If you're not faithful in your money, you're not going to be faithful in your marriage. What are you saying, pastor? If I don't tithe and give offerings, I'm going to have an affair on my wife? No, 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 no. No, you could be very unfaithful in your marriage while never having an affair on your wife or your husband. You could be unfaithful to nourish and care and honor, right? And provide for, whatever. This is, this is so, so very important. Can I talk to you about this today, right? In other words, God is saying that money is attached to everything. If your trust or your trustworthiness cannot handle money, then you're not going to be able to handle these healing helping people get delivered, the anointing, right? It takes trust to receive from God. The only way to prove you trust is based upon what you do with the least money. Prove to God, oh no, he knows right where you are. Prove to you. Verse 12, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who will give you that which is your own? Do you know how many people that God cannot promote them to get something that's their own because they're not faithful in something that's another man's? Be a good employee. Right? Be, be, be faithful wherever you are. It says, no servant can serve two masters. He says it again. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So I'm going to finish. I just want to finish this by saying a couple things about mammon. Mammon is a deceptive and demonic spirit. It's the name of the Syrian god of riches and money. Okay? It's a Chaldean word for money and riches that has been gained through greed. Okay? The, the Bible, and I'm just going to shorten this up, defines the word mammon as the spirit which rests upon money. Money is not evil. It's the spirit that rests upon it. Okay? This spirit attaches itself to money. This spirit is hidden behind the norms and values of society. This spirit is subtle, sneaky, and crafty. Many times, the manifestation of this spirit goes unnoticed in believers' lives. It's manifesting, but they don't see it. The spirit, the spirit of mammon, does not want you to hear these truths. Why? Because the spirit of mammon craves for servants. It loves to have believers as, their, as his servant because they don't even know it. 
Either you choose to allow, here, here is the end of this thing. Well, not the end. You know, you know what I mean. The end of today. Either you choose to allow God's spirit to instruct you to do, instruct you on what to do with your money, or by default, you're allowing the evil spirit mammon to instruct you on what to do with money. There is no middle ground. This is why, as your pastor, I love you. It makes me weep. Because there are jewels in the body of Christ that are not being effective and they're not bearing their fruit because they're just sitting here going, Pastor, I... I'm just under all the time financially and I just can't seem to get out. And what they don't realize is the spirit of mammon is instructing them what to do with every dollar that comes into their life. Money is neither good or bad. It's not governed by God or the evil spirit of mammon. If mammon governs the the person who picks up the money, then mammon will drive that person on what to do with the money. And mammon will produce these attitudes. This is, this is what he wants to produce or what it wants to produce. Here's what it is. Man doesn't need God. Right? You know how many people, believers, they're just trying, they, they won't say I don't need God, but their whole life is saying, no, I'm going to do this myself. Right? It'll tell, it wants to produce an attitude in you that man is self-sufficient. It'll tell you you don't need God. You have to trust in riches. It'll produce that attitude in you. Let, let riches be your identity. Trust. Here, here's, the, here's the foundation of it. Trust in money. Don't trust in God. That's the whole thing. So I I hope this has helped you just a little bit. There is so much that we can say. But God wants you blessed. As a matter of fact, you are blessed. He wants you to position yourself so that now he can get over to you everything that he's already provided for you. Amen.